the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello everyone and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. This podcast is part of the Beef Supply Chain Project and focuses on adding value to beef. I'm joined today by two well-known farmers who add value to their to their beef and are selling directly to the end consumer. They're Michael Shannon and Pete Eccles. Hello to you both. Hello. Good afternoon. How's it going today? How's farming? Oh no, I think it's a, a nice sunny day in Ayrshire today. How's things at your end? Age before beauty, Michael. All right, okay. Well, it's a pretty damp day here in Lanarkshire. There's just no... Um, no drift at all, no no drying at all. And as I look out my window, I can see acres and acres of spring barley still standing, still to be harvested. Not my spring barley, thank goodness. I'm awfully glad that if I look out another window, I can see my the, the black sheep of the top of the pit where all my spring barley is in whole crop. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. And I would say the sun is now bursting through here in Midlothian. Um, combining is now complete. We still have some straw to tidy up. Uh, no record yields. Uh, won't be any surprise in that. But And straw is going to be tight. But uh, yeah, we're progressing nicely. And um, the, the list of jobs is slowly getting smaller. Mm-hmm. Slowly. It's amazing how we can soon add some more on the bottom, though, isn't it? The jobs keep coming. <laughs> Um, I'm conscious that we all know each other, but some of the people listening won't know both of you. So, um, Michael, do you want to go first and just introduce yourself and say a wee bit about your business? Okay, so um, I farm in Lanarkshire. I have 100 hectares. Um, Of that, there is approximately 80 hectares of farmable ground. All of it's pliable. The whole farm is basically... Uh, set up to produce as much grass as humanly possible. We're finishing cattle. We have a small breeding flock of yews. Um, however, the yews are on their way out. Uh, we're, di- we're just working our way as they get older and leave the farm and not being replaced. And we plan to go 100% finishing with no breeding stock in the farm within the next couple of years. Uh, we're finishing uh, about two-thirds of our stock that we we. Uh, finish we sell through our shop uh, damn delicious which we operate both a retail shop on site and also we uh, sell online and that actually is part of the business that we're really pushing hard is the online we also then uh, in our butchery do some private kills process some uh, uh, beef and lamb and pork for other producers which we label and pack and uh, so they can sell out into the marketplace. And I guess that's where I come in. I'm one of those um, uh, small producers uh, who sells online through our Native and Wild brand. And uh, we send our cattle to shots where Michael picks them up and does the butchery and the packaging and and labelling for us. And then we drive the sales, uh, collect the beef and deliver it. Um, we've only been doing it for a year now, um, but sales have been good. Certainly through lockdown, we probably could have done a lot more, but obviously Michael was running at full capacity as it was. 
Um, but I'm also now looking at um, a second um, uh, way of doing it. So we're, we're actually selling the whole carcass um, to McDuff uh, in Wishaw and then buying back the roasting or the steak joints and, uh, and then um, processing them ourselves and selling them um, in steak packs into a local restaurant. So that is uh, quite exciting as well. On the farming side, uh, I farm just over 400 hectares in total. It's a wee bit complicated in that 300 of that is I'm employed as a manager where we run 2,000 uh, breeding ewes and 100 suckler cows. Uh, there's also approximately 60, 70 hectares of, of um, cereals and um, 30 hectares of forage crops for wintering uh, ewes outside. And then on my family business, we have um, approximately 100 hectares made up of spring barley for malting. And I have about 100 finishing cattle, um, which we buy in and sell for both meat boxes and um, just on the, on the open market. And in addition to all of that, I've got my Rocknest Pedigree Herefords, which is about 15 pedigree cows um, producing bulls and heifers for sale using AI and embryos and we do a bit of showing um, so that's something that's a bit of a passion and um, I do enjoy the the quality beef that the Herefords produce as well. Yeah fantastic it's a very diverse uh, two businesses we've got there's multiple businesses going on in both and a uh, very interesting I'm sure we'll hear more about that in a uh, just in the next few, few minutes but um michael i suppose my first question to you is how did how did this evolve were you a butcher to start with or were you a farmer to start with and how what what made you take the decision to start adding value and dealing direct i was neither so um I, my main part of my working career was in the seed industry and the wholesale seed industry supplying grass seeds to all the merchants across scotland and um but part of my job was we traveled the world looking at different systems. And while in New Zealand, I saw a system that I, where I thought I could produce uh, good quality beef without any grain inputs, with any hard feeding whatsoever. And uh, so I came back and I bought the farm. I had no farm. And we bought, I had already bought the farm and was simply just taking over on the farm and uh, not making any money and decided to go full-time farming in 2007. Uh, like all big companies, they change and everything changes and things move on. And sometimes old farts like me, the dinosaurs get left behind. So maybe I get left behind a wee bit. <laughs> anyway, but, but the great thing that the seed industry, like I come out of agricultural college, no farm, and I thought I was going to go off and become a farm manager. Um, and, the first job I applied for was in the seed trade in Northern Ireland. And then they had an office in Pennycook and I got shifted over here. And, you know, it was a fantastic learning curve. Like I'm eternally grateful for the knowledge of running a business and the whole background to sort of grass, forage crops, the whole thing that I got and the places I got to go in the world to see different things and different systems and be able to bring some of that home and start doing that. And then in it always wanted to sell our own stock. So um, we started doing exactly the same as what Pete does. Um, we got somebody else to process some lambs initially for us. 
and some cattle and uh, we used I used to just do it in carrier bags. So I would split an animal, I would wander into Tesco's and I would when the carrier bags were still free, I'd wander into Tesco and I would grab a good big handful of carrier bags. And uh, when the meat would when I'd get the meat home from the, the butcher, I would just lay ten carrier bags out in the garage. And I would just put a little bit of everything into every carrier bag until it was all gone and then sold those off. And that's how we got started. And then we had an opportunity to buy. Then I decided to set up the butchery on the farm. And, um, you know, pretty tough going in those days. You know, there was plenty of days we'd pick up. The butcher then wasn't packing the meat. We were packing it. And uh, all he did was just give us a good big basin full of mints, and then I packed it all down. And like there was plenty of days where you sort of finished at four o'clock in the morning after you finished packing it all. Um, and uh, that then moved on, and we were able to buy a butcher shop in Lanark, and we, you know, established the brand, the damn delicious brand, and created the website. Maybe in hindsight, the website in two thousand and seven, trying to sell meat online was. To a hit was you know, maybe a wee bit too early, but um, but we were caught up and overtaken by lots of the guys who do it in a big scale. Um, uh, you know, it's it's it also has to be about living as well. You know, while the two businesses take up a lot of time and a lot of effort, it has to be time for family, etc. And and I don't want to have ten different shops. We don't see ourselves as competing with butchers. We see ourselves as uh, the shop is a vehicle to sell the produce from the farm. And that's what it's for. It's to add value to product from the farm. Anything else we sell that we buy in, that we sell from the shop, is 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 to enhance what we're producing. So the lamb and the beef that we're producing, not there as a core product. The core product is beef and lamb, which we're producing on the farm. Yeah, I think that's the interesting point about um, selling your own produce is, is a lot of our customers make the connection with us to to uh, the meat they're they're buying. So they're they're buying from you. Um, it's a you know family business similar to to Michael's. Um, the animals has been raised on that farm. It's been um, it, you can you know see it from literally from the farm or from the shop if you're coming to collect beef or lamb. Uh, there's that connection where you can see it's had a good life and it's been done in a sustainable way you know we're both forage systems and I think not I hate the word educate but it's trying to keep people informed about the differences about how sustainable our form of farming is versus the kind of what you see in the media of you know deforestation and soya um, fed feedlots and all that sort of stuff that goes on in other countries Um, you know we're very much a different product from that and I think um, it's really the messages we send out on our Instagram native and wild uh, meat boxes and through uh, Facebook is all about not only the provenance but about the sustainable farming techniques we use um, and and their consciousness to, 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 to improve our efficiency but also reduce our um, our carbon footprint um, these are all good selling points yeah and they're really interesting you know th- those selling points that you're using will have the be- the biggest benefit to you but also from an industry point of view you know we, we all need to be telling those type of stories and it's great to see you guys pushing and you know you're pushing for 
your own benefit, but also for the benefit of the, the wider red meat job? Because we certainly have been under, I think if it wasn't for COVID coming along and, and something else to be in the news, we would be the top line in the news most nights. I certainly were, you know, at the turn of the year, we were the, the, the biggest problem. We were mm. all the all the bad things and nobody could see any of the good things. So it's, you want- to me, I think, telling the story of the what the what all the good stuff we do, we should be shouting it from the rooftops. But you wonder, like, as an industry, especially in Scotland, you know, we have so much to shout about, so much to crow about. You know, majority of our livestock is on forage system. You know, so much. And there's so many benefits. There's so many benefits to the health of the population, higher in omega-3s, et cetera. And, and yeah. sometimes we don't, we don't crow enough about this. Um, you know, if we were in New Zealand, um, the Kiwis would certainly be crowing about it. They crow about everything. Um, and uh, if we were, it, we should really be promoting that more. It's interesting, Pete saying there about the the people able to see things. We also produce turkeys. We've been doing turkeys for a lot, lot of years. And we, we produce turkeys and we, we have the turkeys in the woods literally around the shop. So that as people go up to order their turkeys at Christmas, they can actually see the turkeys. It's a standing sort of joke. People will come up yep. and order a turkey yep. and then come back a few weeks later and say, which one's mine? Oh, it's that one over there. Do you know what I mean? So, but, I'll uh, vouch yeah. for the turkeys, though. We had a turkey from you last year, and it was by far the best turkey I've ever had. Um, yeah. Well, super. We do it. We do it an old-fashioned. It's, it's, again, it's, it's going back to basics. You know, we do an old-fashioned peak system, my system. You are back to basics. It's not forcing the animals. It's... We use an old-fashioned breed. We use a Norfolk black. Uh, we don't force it. It's it's twelve weeks older than your conventional turkey that you get in the supermarket would be. You know, my cattle, I grow them quite slowly. They're not forced. They're just naturally reared, and and that's a big thing about adding value. You know, Pete's brilliant at it on Instagram and all the rest of the native and wild. But the thing is, is to to educate your customer to communicate with your customer what you're trying to do differently make your product different um and, yeah. it, and it's and it's, and it's and it's trying to find what if you are going to go into this the big thing that you've got to do is is find your usp you know your unique selling point what makes you different to um to everything else I think the thing that we we notice quite quickly, and and it's been a learning curve, is I see it often. People start up a small meat box business, and it disappears quite quickly. Um, and it, the reason is I don't think they charge enough. I think that people have to realize, and you, you realize this when you when you start to do it, that you in order to supply a really good product that's been well hung and butchered and packaged, it costs so much more than what a supermarket can do it at because that animal could be. Bu- you know, butchered and backpacked and it can be aged in a bag where it doesn't lose moisture and therefore their their, their yields are so much better because they're not losing um, moisture through the hanging process that we do uh, through our more traditional methods. So the product is a different product to what you buy in the shelf in the supermarket. Um, it's a superior product um, in every way, in my opinion. Um, and our customers, once they've had it, they'll, they'll, they'll vouch for that as well. Um, but it is it's it's about making sure that you um you tell that story uh, they understand it and they appreciate that it is going to cost more than a, you know a cheap supermarket that's one of one of one of my big thing, big things is being with like lambs especially 
um, you know, we do a lot of lambs for people here, and it, and it frustrates me. You know, lamb could be making eighty pounds in the market, and you'll be a butcher a lamb for someone, and they'll say, "Oh, I've made one hundred and ten quid for that." You haven't made anything more than you made in the market. You know, it costs you fifteen quid to have it killed, and cost you fifteen cost you fifteen quid to have it butchered. Say, so you're back at one hundred and ten. You've had all the hassle um, of uh, running, packing it up, blah blah blah. And, you know, people, need, as Pete says, people need to charge for their service. You know, there's no point in doing this, you know, just to satisfy your ego. You know, turnover is vanity, profit is sanity. And I suppose the thing now, the, now that Tesco bags are five pence, there'll be a significant increase in packaging costs as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time. Um, I, I did actually get tackled one day in 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 Tesco, and I was picking up this. The guy comes over and he says, uh, "Can I help you?" I said, no, no, I'm fine. Are you sure? There's nothing I can help you with. I said, "No, no, no, I'm fine. Have you any more bundles of bags?" <laughs> As I walked out the door with his carrier bags, but yeah, yeah, we're all all had to do. We've all done desperate things as we're getting started out. <laughs> Exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, the one thing with uh, you spoke about there, Pete, was social media. Um, I find it very interesting. Not that long ago, if I was in my office and my boss caught me on Facebook, you know, it would be a. It's not quite. It wasn't quite a sackable offence, but it was something that you, you wouldn't be proud of, or it would feel like skiving. But now it's such an important part of all that we do and all that farming does. Do you think social media is the for what you're doing is it the answer or can it be a problem as well i believe it's it's a problem we're at the start of you know we're still very much at the start of social media i don't particularly like it i don't particularly want my children to be obsessed with it and absorbed by it um but it is a it is a an immediate way to get um to get traction and get get your your brand out there but it's continually flooded with you know, um, the next business and every other business that it's quite a competitive place now as well. Um, and so I think it's, it's not perfect, but it does give you a platform, um, to be creative. Um, but it is time consuming. I don't think it's particularly healthy to spend a lot of time on your phone. So I'm lucky I've got my wife, Ailey, who does a lot for us. I send her the images and maybe a wee caption and she'll kind of brand it to, to suit our, our way of doing things and she'll put it out there um, and she's very structured in how she does that. But um, it's, you know, you still have to talk about your produce to friends and family and we still have to, I still do what I can, you know, um, out, outside of social media to try and grow our brand. Um, the other thing we've just actually in the process of doing now is putting in our Lothian larder, which is our uh, farm shop vending machine. So that's going in uh, at the beginning of October uh, here at Sockland. Um, so we've got um, uh, quite a, 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 a flash machine with um, lockers and you can um, order, um, we're hoping through an app, but I think initially it's going to be much a touch screen and you can see what you're buying. So we're actually not only supp uh, supplying and selling our own farm produce, but we're actually contacting a lot of local suppliers in the Lothians, uh, doing vegetables, um, uh jams and chutneys cheeses dairy um we've also got um tray bakes and um, some baked goods and some ready meals so there's lots of exciting things um you know coming coming out of this uh, and i think you know what we're trying to do is 
again, just really sell the, the, the buy local um, and support your local businesses. I think the product's superb and, uh, you know, the money stays in the local community. That's the thing. It goes around, you know. You start buying everything from the supermarket, it could disappear to, to America or wherever else the, the, the shareholders are. It's amazing how well received those vending machines have been right across Scotland, even in, you know, poorer poorer areas and things where where incomes aren't as high, are still quite well supported. You know, there's still people want to support local people and they want yeah. to see that story. So it's there's a novelty to it. There's no question. It's maybe something that might fade away, but there's a novelty to it. There's a convenience factor. You know, for us, we very much feel that people can can rock up in their car, jump out, grab what they want. The kids can get involved or the kids can stay in the car. You don't have to drag them around the shop. Um, it's a very much, a, a, you know, it's a convenience, uh, especially even during COVID, I suppose, if people don't want to see people or you don't want to have that risk of contamination or or contact, then that, that you know, um, is a plus as well. So, yeah, there's lots of uh, cool little things about it. Um, but, um, you know, it still requires... Um, a bit of thought in terms of how we, we package and bundle things and how we keep it well stocked and uh, I guess um, you know keep it interesting and keep people hopefully coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's quite an interesting. Bit's interesting. That's that's quite an interesting point there. Point there you said about um, you know about the value of products. Um, you know they're, they're and trying to make it affordable. Um, to be honest, I think that's one thing if you were going to do this is you need to decide what is your market. And if you think you want to be affordable and you want to be, compete with the big boys, you will fail. Um, you know, there is no point in kidding yourself that you can compete with Aldi's and Lidl and Tesco and all these things. As Pete says, it's kind yeah. of carcass yield and that sort of thing. And if you're going to price it like that, you know, we're selling a premium brand uh, and we have premium costs that go with it, uh, unfortunately. You know, uh, Pete and I were talking before this, we we're just talking about the likes of killing charges. You know, forget the charge that you're charged by your local Scotty forever. You're going to be triple that uh, for your killing charge if you're doing small private kills. So you've got all these costs to add in, and there's no point in thinking, you know, oh, I can be cheaper than the supermarket. You can't. Well, you can, but you will fail and you will lose money. <laughs> and and as Pete said, you know, the amount of people who start out doing a few wee lamb boxes here. And like I can, I remember when I was starting out, we were going to sort of producer groups and uh, we were being trained in this sort of thing. And I remember all these people that I used to meet at these things. But all those people have stopped completely stopped there's not one of them i don't think going i know one of them still does maybe catering that's it mm-hmm. yeah we've tried to stay away from as much wholesale as possible and i don't know how michael gets on with the wholesale side of it but we 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 looked at i was approached initially by quite a few um restaurants and hotels and in, in, in the area that had heard i was doing beef and they wanted to do it and straight away i wasn't very excited because i know that they're trying to they're obviously trying to get you at your knockdown price and probably be very selective in what they take and because we're quite a small producer we our whole our whole business is geared around utilizing the whole animal and so when you buy a box from us you're getting a selection of a bit of everything you're not able just to cherry pick you know your favorite ribeye steak um and then 
it doesn't really work like that. Otherwise, we'd be left with all the the mints. So we do we do try and balance it um, across all our boxes, um, and it is actually you know it, it's coming together. But one of the things that we have looked at, and it's something I'm very keen on, is I'm actually learning to do a bit of butchery myself, um, and I would like to be able to supply a few restaurants um, by buying back, like I say, the the, the roasting um, the the steaks on the bone and then butchering them for them in-house and uh, supplying so we can actually be competitive with the the, the big wholesalers um, to that restaurant, but we're supplying a far superior product that's been aged in a traditional way. The beef has obviously got the provenance of coming from the farm. We're using traditional breeds that have been reared um, on a, a forage and grass system and finished on a, a grass system. So which eat fantastically well. There's the health benefits of, like Michael touched on with the omega-3s, they've got higher um, nutrient density. Um, there's all these extras uh, and, and you know, the texture of the beef is, is, is superb. So, you know, we really want to be able to, to supply restaurants, um, but it's very difficult to do that um, uh, without, you know, being too expensive for them. I think that's a I think that's a brilliant idea that one Pete. I didn't I didn't I think that's a superb idea. We don't have that. We're only you know we're selling the whole carcass here, and as Pete says, you know restaurants and hotels pick and choose the cuts that they want. Um, and like we we turned down another there's a new hotel just opened this week locally to us, and they came and approached us to see would we supply them. And I just had to say, no, I'm sorry. Um, I just can't uh, because they want, you know, we run out of steaks every week for our retail customers. Um, so for them to, to try and try and supply ribeyes or sirloins or fillets to, to them, and it, you know, it's all about carcass balance. You know, the carcass, I'm bringing in sides of beef and I've got to sell the whole side of beef. Can't be left with one bit or the other, you know. And that's you're saying your pies have been a really good way of doing that, haven't you? You've added value big time with your with your well, pie mixes. One of the one of the issues we always had was um was rumps. Uh, you know, when we first started we didn't have the pies and the rump was always the hardest sell, the silver side, the top side. Um you could sell rump steaks, you know, for, for braising, but but the roasts just really hard to shift. You know, not very many people sit down for a Sunday roast anymore. Um and uh, so that work that's where pies come in. You know we sell a huge amount of steak pies. Uh, we slow cook it overnight. Um and uh, you know yeah we a lot of pies and that that has been a game changer for us and it's now a major part of our business. With that in mind, is um I think I know where Pete will go with this question, but are we producing the wrong type of cattle in Scotland? You know we. Rump's the hardest to shift. Is the well, type in terms of, of the, grading, the, the grading system, I suppose, would support uh, that or an argument against that, wouldn't it? Um, that you know, you're 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 arguably as a farmer, you're wanting U and E grades um to get that extra um uh yep. pence per kilo. But I suppose even you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that to produce a lot of e carcasses, you probably have a lot of calving difficulties, and you might have a lot of uh you know lost calves or, or problems with your your suckler system so it's not potentially um you know enough in an e-grade to to justify that um higher risk um 
structure of you know producing cattle so for us with it you know we're very much a traditional um breeds working with hereford angus uh, a bit of shorthorn um but really very much a yeah cattle that produce what i argue the, the best eating beef but are also you know very uh, easy doing um cattle grass finishing grass performing and, and docile and a pleasure to work with you've got to enjoy working with them and um that's a big part of what we do so um i personally think you know there's breeds within breeds i mean i've got angus cattle here that are finishing off the grass at 300 320 kilos dead weight and some people would say to me that's nuts that's far too light well it's not because it's not cost me much i've, I've done it off grass and they've, they've gone out in the spring at a year old and they've killed at 16 17 months uh leaving a very good profit whereas i've also got cattle that are uh are going to be 400 kilos when they kill out but they're costing me a fortune in barley um to get that finish on them because they're just big rangy uh what i call elephants um they take you know a lot of feeding and a lot of energy to get that finish um and and that for me doesn't work yep michael at your end of things buying stores are you what type of stores are you generally generally buying the ones I hopefully can make some money on. <laughs> Same as everyone else. Um, no, I, listen, I'm, 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 very, I'm very much in, in Pete's camp. Uh, you know, the, these big flashy cattle, I, I, you know, they're for a different market as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to feed them. Um, they're not going to get any hard feeding here. They're not going to be put in a shed. They're going to be outside. And quite frankly, they would probably be wasted on a farm like mine. You know, I'm looking for the more the traditional type of animal, the animal who that um I can uh, I can finish off grass is going to flesh out well. Um, I'm aiming for like I don't want a carcass. The ones I'm selling on the hoop, I'm selling uh, dead weight to 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 the factories. Yeah, I want to get up onto the three fifties kilo mark, but the ones I want in my shop are in around about three hundred to three twenty kilo. That's the size that suits us. It's the size that suits. Uh, you know, the size of steaks, it's just that's the sort of size I want. I'm mostly working with heifers wherever possible. Um, I'm mostly working with Angus, although this year I couldn't get enough Angus in the spring and we've got quite a few lings um, and shorthorns around us. Communication throughout the supply chain is lacking in, in the Scottish beef industry and that's in, in part why this project uh, started off. Do you as a breeder finisher, Pete, do you get, you know, do, the feedback you're getting from Michael when he's cutting uh, carcasses for you, does that alter what breeding decisions you make or are we not quite at that stage yet? I think it takes a while to change a breeding system, obviously, to the point where you're... Um you're going to get that feedback i mean for us definitely i prefer selling to smaller um retailers so for example we mentioned mcduff but they feed back they're 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 con they're constantly in touch with you in terms of what your carcasses uh, look like they'll they'll post pictures online on on social media they'll feed that information back you can see um exactly how the beef cuts the marbling the fat um and it's really disappointing for me when i've sold 
some really top end, what I believe top eating cattle away into the kind of mainstream market and it just disappears in a lorry and you never hear any more than other than the, the, the line that comes back with the, how much you got paid. But, and it, you know, that's that's how it has to work, I suppose, on the mass market and I, I understand that. But I think for from my point of view, because I'm so passionate about the beef that we produce that I really want to know, I want to have that connection right through to the consumer um, partly one of the reasons why we do what we do with the beef boxes and we're now actually I met, never mentioned it but we're, we've, we've got a catering van we're going to be doing um, uh, stovies at the local pumpkin patch this uh, autumn um, using our beef so you know that connection right through to the point of cooking it and selling it um, to the to the consumer is really you know a really important part of what we do uh, and, and what we're really passionate about um, so going back to the kind of connection in terms of the breeding we're, we're very much selecting bulls that we want to that will have that marbling um and also that um easy fleshing um off grass based system so we are we are selecting genetics that we believe will um, deliver the type of beef that i'm uh, looking to sell and i suppose the beauty of a native system like you've got is those bulls are likely to be the ones that will produce good functional cows as well you know breeding animals down the line yeah well yeah exactly i was out in new zealand last year looking at herefords and uh, i was in australia uh, this year looking at herefords and just trying to select cattle that i believe will will thrive here in our system but also and that have been selecting for eating quality um uh, for a while so that's something that we're really keen to to try and bring into the the cattle we are um we're working with and what we're selling um, so that hopefully our consumer will notice that difference as well. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael, do you see obviously buying stores? Are you, do you often get someone coming back wanting to see that carcass hung up or wanting to hear how, how their, their cattle that they bred had performed for you? Well, interesting. So we, over the last few years, we're, we're moving more to buying privately uh, direct yeah. off farm and very few of those producers actually want to know which always surprises me um, uh, one does he wants to know everything about uh, what happened um, but no I would say no most people don't um, but it's funny but we've sort of ended up the sort of cattle if you if I wandered off into a field of cattle uh, trying to pick out something that I wanted to sell in the shop or I wanted to butcher for the shop. I'm looking for the wee fat dumpy one. Um, the one that's got mm -hmm. a bit of copper on it because if you're aging it for as long as we are, Pete as well, you know, you need a bit of fat cover on it. Um, <clears throat> the big flashy ones, the big flashy rangy ones are of no interest to me whatsoever. So those big flashy ones can go to the, the big um, finishers in the north uh, I'm looking for the the more traditional type carcass, um, but there's yep. there there are a few. It always surprises me there are a few of the suppliers to me in my store that when I'm buying stores or buying a direct off farm, there are very few of them. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're just trying to produce something that gets the biggest weight quickly as possible and makes yep. them the most amount of money and. When it goes, when it leaves their farm, basically they think their job is done and uh, not interested anymore, which shocks me myself. But I hope. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. I know from me selling stores at home, 
basically the feedback we get is it's you know you get a return customer you, you, a return buyer which is always nice but what i need to know is why the the people who didn't come back and buy them what went wrong you know what wasn't yeah. quite right and i think there's this fault at both ends you know we should be that open discussion needs to be had I'll give you an example. So there was a chap I used to buy his cattle. I used to see them in the market and I would buy them. And I stopped buying them. And I couldn't, I was sitting in the market one day and his cattle came into the ring. Don't worry, I'm not going to name anybody or anything. But, but his cattle came into the ring and I couldn't remember. I was sitting there and I was thinking, why did I stop buying his cattle? I couldn't remember. So I bought half a dozen of them and I brought them home. And their ears were up, their eyes were on fire, and there was mental efforts I've seen in a long time. And uh, I remember, and as I'm trying to dose them that day, I thought, oh, I remember why I didn't buy them. They're nuts. <laughs> but I wouldn't go back and tell him that. But he could really do with that knowledge to know that the bull that he's using is a nutter. Um, but I wouldn't go back and tell him because he would probably take that as as. You'd probably get offended if I was to turn around and say, oh, your cattle are nuts, yeah. you know? I think like... temperament has always been an issue because, you know, we, again, I think it's just by chance it's fallen in our lap with the, the native breeder, or certainly with the Hereford is a, the most placid breed I've worked with. Um, but for me, when you send that animal to, or I take it to the abattoir, it's you're putting a lot of faith in the abattoir that that animal will be as stress-free as possible at the point of kill. And I think temperament surely has a factor um, when it wanders off the trailer pretty chilled out versus, you know, one that's up against the side of the trailer, you know, in and in a real getting really stressed. I mean, I think that the, the quality of the eating of that beef is going to be influenced by that stress as well. Um, and that's something that, you know, I, I just I find it very difficult that day when you do have to drop them off. Um, because it's something that's completely out of your control, how that animal is going to be, uh, you know, uh, led up the line and, and it's going to go through the, the slaughter process and how it's going to be, how it's going to be reacting to that. So for me, I think, you know, working with really quiet cattle sh can surely only add to that um, uh, or reduce the amount of stress at the point of kill. But that's a very good point that Pete's made there about the, about the abattoir, you know, both of us uh, like drop off at night when there's nobody else there and the place is calm. But I have been, we, 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 I did make a complaint one day about the guy in the Allerage in an abattoir because I watched him one day uh, taking cattle, moving cattle around the place and the cattle didn't get any time to move. He was chasing them and forcing them and yeah. rushing. He was running about and dashing them. And, and I was getting excited. Just, you know what I mean? He was just one of these really highly strung. And and that would definitely have affected all the cattle killed in that line that day. That, that individual is the wrong person in the wrong place. So like you're trusting the abattoir yeah. to have the right thing. And no matter, we all go into the layerage and see a mental beast in the layerage. And uh, you just have to pray that it's not yours. Um, the other thing is, you know, going on about abattoirs, something that I, I did hear recently that there was, there's a company down south trying to develop a mobile abattoir for cattle. I know it's very tricky um, for various reasons, but uh, certainly, you know, that would be the ultimate is if we were able to, 
um, have somebody come in and do the cattle that we needed for our supply and similar maybe for you Michael um, to put them into your hangar so the animal never actually had to leave the uh, the ground of the farm um, or you know that would be something because then you feel like you've got a bit more control you're cutting out food miles but you know I don't know how far off that sort of um, process would be I think it's it's coming. The challenge is the mobile abattoir falls. It's still an abattoir, so it still falls under the same regulations as the big ones. So there's still a need for a vet, and there's still you know the inspection process and things. There's there's big costs in there, but they're working hard. You know, with you know it would be handy for you, but when you go to like the Western Isles and more remote areas, it's, it's almost critical that it happens. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think and it would on work. The temperament I... thing there. I think it would work if you were just if you were killing for your own use. You know, I do think that. But whereas yeah. there's a whole different set of regulations once you sell the product on. You know, uh, which both Pete and I are doing. You know, if it was just for your own use, uh, it becomes a totally different story. But I I, I don't know yeah. whether it would. The other issue that we would have um, is is chill space to hang the amount of sides that we need to hang to age them for the length of time we need. So, but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'd say that what? you'd, you know, yeah, the benefits obviously you would have less cost potentially and less um, haulage. Um, but yeah, you would have to have that extra space and that extra um, infrastructure in place to do that. Um, but again, it, for me, it would be a good news story. You know, you would try and put a, a positive, there's definitely positives on all of that. Um, um, and I think, yeah, it's certainly something that I'll certainly be keen to try if it does become a reality in the coming years. If you're starting out producing a box scheme or uh, selling your own beef, what would be the kind of key points from a f- like food hygiene and things like that? Are there areas that people need to be aware before they start selling it in a secondhand Tesco bag, for example? Talk to your local um, talk to your local uh, environmental, environmental health officer. Ring them up. Tell them what you're planning to do. They they are not out to get you. They're out to help you. And they'll try and steer you through what you need to be steered through and will help you get set up. And it's the best, one of the best two or three hours I ever spent when I first made that first phone call and a lady came out and we ran through what we were trying to do. She made suggestions saying, no, I wouldn't do that. I would do this. And it was, you know, Three hours of the most fantastic advice um, to get you started. Yeah, I would second that. That's um, we've had nothing but positive um, support from them. Yeah, and is there room in the market for more people to add value to their product? Of course, there is. Good. <laughs> nice and positive. Um, the the only thing, the only, Robert, thing. Robert, the only thing, yep, like can't emphasize enough is if if you're going to go into it, you've got to be committed to it. You've got to do it properly, um, and you've also got to accept that you're going to have to put a lot of work into it. It's not just going to happen. You know, you're going to have to put the work and the effort in there to get your product out into the marketplace, to find your customers, to connect with your customers, et cetera, et cetera. You're, it is not just going to 
happen, you know, you just don't stick a sign up or put an advert up on Facebook saying lamb boxes and you know, fifty quid a box. It doesn't, yeah, it's not as simple as that. We we I thought, you know, it's been a learning curve. We 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 have had a lot more costs incurred in time and there's a huge amount of time goes into the sales and, and even the customer um relationship. But the the thing that I learned very quickly is there's not a huge amount of money to be made killing you know there's nobody making an absolute fortune for very little work uh certainly from what i can see um so no i think the other thing that that strikes me with with the industry there's a lot of online butchers or people um retailing beef with all the jargon of being grass-fed and sustainably produced and provenance and it's not in reality. I mean, it's very easy to, 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 to tell when you're in the industry to know who's been legit and who's not. And I'm not trying to be negative, but there, it frustrates me when I do see some of the the, the more um, the larger producers claiming that everything is um, grass fed and, and aged um, the, the way that we're doing it. Um, I think it, it's, um, it, you know, it's, it, it's very difficult to prove it otherwise, but um, I'm very conscious that we continue to stand uh, by what we say and we will continue to be um you know proud of what exactly what it is that we're selling um and know exactly what it is that we're selling yeah yeah and again industry-wide there we do really need to watch that we're walking the talk you know i think as an industry we should be highlighting the high welfare end of things and the natural end of things but for us to say the whole Scotch beef sector is grass fed, grass, you know, grass reared maybe, but there's a lot of cereal finished cattle out there. And I think we need to watch that our consumer, we've got a very loyal consumer, but they're only loyal until you lie to them. And I think we need to make sure that, that we, we get a good narrative and get a good story as a, a whole industry and, and start singing from the same hymn sheet and let you guys, you know, the, the real grass fed guys, it's a niche, it's a, um, an added yeah, value product. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. Um, with some fantastic farmers doing some brilliant work, producing some superb beef through cereal diets. There's no absolutely no problems with that. Um, I think it's there's there's a lot, and then there's a lot of farmers out there who, who are maybe not doing such a good job. And I think to 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 call us all, you know, the best beef in the world because we've got the Scotch beef brand. I think it's a little bit um gimmicky as well. I think yeah, you know absolutely. there's always going to be just because we're Scottish. Just because you're Scottish doesn't make you brilliant um, at producing beef. So I think there's a, there's a lot of room for the for for, for farmers to up um, their game in terms of uh, how they're doing it. I mean, you, I still find it incredible that you see a lot of cattle struggling to be finished by thirty months, um, which can come down to um, a lot of things on the farming end rather than just the um, you know the, the actual genetics. Um, so there's a lot of improvements and efficiencies and and nutrition and health um, of these animals that will certainly improve the, the supply chain um, for everybody involved. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think, I think that's, we need to sort of accept that, you know, maybe we, we are a wee niche in the market um, and we can't be all things to all men. Like there's no doubt. Like I, I noticed, we noticed since we opened the shop and we started selling our own beef, and people find the same is you know people talk about the taste and the flavor they, they find the flavor quite in, intense because it's hung properly and it's aged and it and uh, you know we're so sort of passionate about how we produce this beef but that flavor doesn't suit everybody 
we get people it, it, so there are people who are used to you know your more traditionally produced meat that's that's that that maybe doesn't have a strong a flavor to it you know isn't maybe aged as long etc and then we try ours to find ours quite strong um so you know but we've got to accept that we're there are different parts to the market and you know we're doing our bit and another producer comes along and it wants to do small bits but then there's the mass guys who are going to do two or three thousand cattle a year um into the supermarkets and as long as they're at the top of their game doing what they do that's fine and we're at the top of our game doing what we do that's fine um you know it doesn't mean that either one of us is wrong and it doesn't mean that we should all be the same either that's very important no uh, yeah absolutely we're all we're all trying to produce food and unfortunately the way it works that you know food is is a relatively cheap product to um uh, not to everybody but in terms of um, the cost of production is probably masked slightly by subsidy, but also um, in the way that um, the supermarkets, the, the volume they, they handle and the efficiencies that they they use in terms of their processing um, make it a very cheap and affordable product. Um, I think a lot of the beef that ends up on the supermarket shelf would be a lot better if it was aged in, in, in the traditional way. There's no question that, but the supermarkets... They're after their, um, they don't want to see their their um, their beef um, dried out and, and 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 losing moisture, which is all volume which they can sell. They need a very slick system, so you know it's not possible um, for for all the beef to end up um, the, the way we sell it. So I can completely understand that you know farmers um, do their bit and they will supply some of the best beef into these supermarkets. It's just unfortunate that maybe it's not um, utilised from there the best way it could be. Yep. Um, I'm conscious of your time. I'm very grateful for your time. But I would just like to finish by asking both of you, uh, we're in fairly uncertain times at the moment, but um, both businesses have grown and developed, probably grown arms and legs and, and gone in a, maybe a different direction to what you expected. But at this stage, what do you think the future holds for your business? Michael first. Uh, well, it's interesting that you know you mentioned we're in interesting times. There's no question that the whole lockdown, the whole of COVID, has been extremely good for butchers and for local food sales and for people becoming more aware of what is on their doorstep. Um, and you know we've seen our sales increase considerably over the last six months. Um, I'm hoping that we can build on that. Uh, I hope that people will continue to buy locally, will continue to value their local producers, whether it's me here or whether it's the guy selling strawberries down the road, whatever it is, as long as, you know, if they've listed all those different products that they're going to do locally. So I, I just hope that people understand that those small local producers are there and that they support them. And I'm hoping that we can build uh, certainly on the quality of the produce that we're trying to produce and we can build on those sales. And we are seeing like pick, people we picked up at the start of lockdown online have now become regular buyers. Um, and uh, we, we've signed up to a review, getting reviews now, and some of the reviews we're getting are fantastic, which in turn bring on more business. There's no doubt 
the biggest driver to bring on more business is word of mouth. You know, if somebody recommends you and somebody you trust tells you that this is good, you'll go and try it. So I'm hoping we can build on this. And I, I, I'm quite positive for the future. I'm, I'm quite, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I actually think that, uh, yeah, it's we're in the right place at the right time at the moment, and uh, there's something to build on. Excellent, exciting times. And Pete, what about you? Yeah, I echo exactly what Michael said about um, supporting local. Um, you know, it's it's been a, it has there's been a lot of demand uh, lately. We've probably not been able to utilize it um, or to make the most of it um, just through because we don't have our own um, butchery uh, set up. Um, so that's that's fine. It's just um, I think for us, we really want to continue to help. Um, get the message out there about um, buying locally and buying sustainably so yes if people want to eat less meat that's fine just just spend a little bit more and make sure that you get a higher quality product um, and enjoy it um, you know the, the full the full potential of of it and um, I think that goes for all food you know I think we're very foodie orientated people my wife and I we like to entertain and we like to enjoy good food and I think you know that's the kind of people that we like to connect with and we like to to you know to create the whole story so it's from where that that produce has come from right through um to working with a chef um we've we've done a bit of work with James McNeish um recently and he's very passionate about um selling our produce and 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 supplying it on a plate at you know a high end um so you know it's the full system it's a full cycle that we're trying to we're, we're trying to create that experience um, and that's something that, you know, I'm very passionate about. And I think going forward, I think there's people are, are more interested or less likely to cut their, their spending on family experience than they are potentially on, on other things. I think, um, you know, if the holidays abroad aren't going to be happening so often, then maybe there's a real opportunity for us to enhance the kind of experience they can have here and in, in, in locally. I think, I think that's a that's a very good Excellent. point. You know, one of the things about lockdown taught people a lot of people. We noticed a lot of people coming into the shop, uh, and and they were cooking meals, and meal time became a a, a, a sort of a, a major uh, part of the day. So that you know, when the family got yeah. together, they would eat they would eat a really nice meal, and maybe start to cook again. You know, maybe life just isn't rushing as much as it used to be. You know, more people working from home, and that will probably continue. So maybe they'll have more times in their hand, and maybe they have more time to prepare food and to make nice meals and to spend a bit of time researching where I can buy the best produce locally. And uh, you know, maybe there's yep. opportunities there. Yep. I think as as you've both said, there's no doubt there's a lot of opportunities and, and change isn't all bad. You know, it's a, it's obviously very difficult times we're in and, and Brexit on the horizon, but it's interesting that, that as you say, Michael, the pace of life has changed and the priorities have changed a lot. So hopefully, you know, they, we can get the get the best out of this or or make the best of a bad job here and it's an ill wind that blows nobody any good, really, isn't it? Um, with that, I would really just like to thank both uh, Pete and Michael for their, their time today, taking time out of their day and, and speaking to us. Um, it's been a really useful discussion. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope our listeners will enjoy it too. Um, 
there'll be more information like this available on the more podcasts, more webinars available on the Farm Advisory website. And if you wish to discuss any more of this, uh, you can also contact us through the Farm Advisory Service helpline. So with that, I would just like to thank Michael and Pete again and wish you all the best for the future of your business. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. much. All the thank best you. to you. All the best.